go to thecognitiverampage.com. Feel free to contribute, donate, keep fueling the change, whatever it is that you guys can do to help continue to allow this to happen. None of this would happen without you and your love and your support and, of course, your contributions. Love you. Welcome to the Cognitive Rampage Podcast. Hope you're taking care of you. Hope you're living your Cognitive Rampage. My book, The Cognitive Rampage, A Scientific Approach to Self-Discovery, Change, and Life Optimization, is now available on Amazon. What I do in the book is I fuse the latest research from the cognitive, behavioral, social, environmental, and biological sciences. It's not just motivational fluff and wordplay. Now, I do talk about my own story, so there's some kind of inspiration in there, but I'm not just spinning words and hyping you up with motivational fluff. Whether you need a life change, simply enjoy self-exploration and optimization, want to discover new hidden passions, or reduce the life-altering effects of toil, anxiety, depression, all of those issues, this book is for you. This book is not a cookie-cutter method of steps to follow. You'll customize the scientific framework with your own personal beliefs to build your authentic change. That way you assimilate it faster and quicker. It's not just copying my beliefs and telling you step one, step two. These will come from your beliefs is how you extend and build the foundation upon this framework. You'll use this framework throughout your whole life, through every change, and through every age. These are not empty words of motivational spin. This book is an experience. The Cognitive Rampage is based in science and is built from your beliefs. It's a path to help you unleash your desired change. You can apply this method on your own with no harmful side effects. You can simply go to Amazon.com, search The Cognitive Rampage, and you'll find the second edition there, uh, as well as the Kindle version. The audio book is going to be released sometime in June. Sometime in June, I will have the audio book of the second edition available as well. My guest on the podcast today is the author of the best-selling book, Dare, The New Way to Break Free from Anxiety and Panic Attacks. He's also the creator of the best-selling anxiety treatment program, Panic Away. His program has been purchased by more than 70,000 people worldwide and has been featured on TV and radio across America. For over 10 years, he started teaching people a breakthrough approach for ending panic attacks and is now one of the most sought out anxiety coaches online. Unlike traditional approaches, which is why I love the dude, anxiety is about getting over it, not managing it. It's about the results and all that matters. And that's the approach I love. Welcome to the show, Barry McDonough. Happy to be here, and thanks for having me. Oh, I was excited to. Uh, took a couple weeks to get you on. I know you're a busy man, but uh, anybody that takes the mental health approach to going, let's not manage symptoms and let's actually do something is cognitively rampaging, in my opinion, and someone <laughs> I really want to talk to. Cool. Well, before we walk through the book, if you will, maybe try to give some people some tips or uh, some help to implement in their lives, I'd like to actually know more about you, kind of where you came from, the about the author page, maybe uh, even what you may have dealt with personally that maybe walked you down this path to help so many others. Yeah, it's funny. I never thought I'd be doing this so many years later. I mean, it's probably going on about 15 years, and it all started from a panic attack I had 
when I was actually, um, I was actually in church at the time. I had been drinking a lot the night before. I had finished some exams. I was exhausted. I had this huge panic attack and I didn't know what it was. And it sent me into this tailspin of anxiety, of fearing fear. Because I got through that first one, but I was then terrified of when the next one was going to happen. So that caught me up in general anxiety and the general anxiety fed the panic, and intrusive thoughts and depersonalization and everything that goes with an anxiety disorder. I kind of experienced it all over the course of about a year and a half. Um, and it was while I was, I was working through my own stuff and I didn't seek help. I should have, but I didn't. And I'm always telling people, you know, go get help, reach out. But um, I was afraid I was going to get put on medication. I was afraid I was, someone was going to tell me I was losing my mind. So I was just really bottling it up and keeping it to myself. Um, and there, the internet wasn't around then at that time. So you couldn't go online and Google these things and just, you know, join a forum or something like that. So um, it was, it was books in libraries and stuff like that. Um, and then, you know, it was weird. I was, I had really reached rock bottom with it. I, I hit this moment where I thought, you know, these, if these panic attacks are going to keep threatening this, me this way, I would prefer to die. I was really that depressed with it all, that uh, caught up in it. And when I did that, when I kind of said to the anxiety panic attack, come on, kill me, do your worst, something shifted. I could feel something change and a bit of confidence coming back. And that was the beginning of stripping away the fear of the bodily sensations and stripping away that fear of fear. And everything I teach grew out of that moment, out of that moment, that paradoxical moment of asking more of the thing you don't want in an anxious moment. And, um, and that's kind of where it got me to today. Um, I'm scratching my head with Dare, for example. It's the highest rated book on Amazon for anxiety, um, top selling book on Amazon. And it's like, um, I'm, not a, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a mental health professional. But I think because I'm coming from the other side of the fence, from someone who's suffered from anxiety, people really relate to it. You know, they say, it's like you're reading my diary. You know, you're reading the thoughts, the anxious thoughts I have. And I think that's why it's connecting with people. Well, it, I think uh, it's the best way to approach it. I, I had Dr. Duff on here, uh, Robert Duff, talking about the terminology that all us professionals, so-called mental health professionals use. And this terminology loses people. It makes you scared. It kind of backs you away. You numb out to it. And when people can read from the mouths of someone experiencing it like that, when they can crawl into those same thoughts, we truly find where we connect on so many levels of that experience. Um, myself, uh, recently, True, has been uh, experiencing ups and downs, right, with anxiety. And uh, I'm going through a major change in my life. And and nowhere I hadn't been before. I've been in some scary damn places. So for me, I had this approach of going, man, I've been in shootouts, man. Like I've been in crazy places and I'm sitting here and nothing is really being attacking me. But I, like you said, those panic attacks come on and then, or a feeling, this, this peak feeling of doom, right? Of then you're worried, dang, when's the next one? Then you start going, wait, is that PTSD now approaching? Like, yeah. what am I going through? And I had a moment where I even did a video on it where I just got pissed off. I just said, you know what? This is what it is. Okay, fine. I'm going to come get you or come get me, right? There was, yeah, there was that's, that powerful. That's what I did, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Tell me more about that moment for you, that day that you kind of said, you know what? Fuck it. <laughs> well, I was in my bedroom. I think I was lying on the bedroom floor and it was just, it was that, it just felt that bad. I wasn't going out. It was college. You know, I was in college at the time and I was missing out and everything. And I just thought, no kill me rather than threaten me. You know, it's like having this imaginary gun to your head all the time. 
thinking that a panic attack is going to push you over the head, it's going to drive you insane, or it's going to give you a heart attack or whatever. And uh, just, you know, saying, okay, pull the trigger then, anxiety. You know, so I was having this conversation with anxiety and I was saying, you know, do your worst, bring it on, you know, make that, make my heart stop then, make me suffocate. And because it didn't, I thought, wow, okay, now I'm winning background. Now I'm getting power back that I had lost and I could feel my confidence return. So I started going out to the places that I was scared of and saying, okay, let's have a panic attack here. You know, let's try and bring it on. And it's not easy. That, that does take courage because it's pretty terrifying. You know, you're shaking at the same time. You've got all that nervous adrenaline there, but you're, you're still doing the things you want to do. And what, I, what people find strange about DARE is that I don't teach people how to be calm and relaxed. I teach people how to be comfortable with the pain and the discomfort of nervous arousal. And when you do that, when you get comfortable with all of that extreme arousal, then you can move on with your life and you can do things that you want to do. And as a consequence, as a side effect, you become calm, you become relaxed, you become confident again. But that isn't the goal. The goal is just the, the main first goal is get comfortable with the discomfort. And when you do that, it doesn't, you don't feed the fear anymore. You don't feel that fire of uh, fear, fearing fear, you know. And an exposure, almost sit in the uncomfortable until we acclimate, right? Allow the mind and the body and be, yeah, I think you're, you're so on point with the first step being that, um, in the book, even when you're writing is because we fear that experience, right? We fear that moment of entrapment, of sweating from every pore. We may pass out. People will see us all. Can they tell I'm not talking? Right. All that moment of just, of, of crimmed up, right. Your ass cheeks are crumbed so tight. You're, you know, then you realize every muscle's flexing and you're like, Oh my, breathe, man. And, and yeah. that, that moment of really trying to, I, I guess, not be afraid, right. Of that moment. Yeah. And, and understanding, for example, like cortisol has kind of this spike of about 20 minutes, knowing that it's going to, it's going to be gone in about 20, 30 minutes max. You know, the, the cortisol will metabolize, knowing that this is a wave and it's about, are you going to ride the wave or are you going to let it toss and turn you around? And you ride it by bringing it on, demanding more, you know, that third step of day, run towards it. And that lets you surf it, surf it out for 20, 30 minutes, but you're only surfing nervous arousal. You're not surfing fear anymore. It's like surfing the jitters you get from coffee, you know, and you can do something with that nervous energy. You can put it into your work. You can express yourself. But it doesn't make you fearful. And that's the key difference. I think it's huge because fear, it spikes mostly every chemical in your body of what to do. And I, you're right. I think getting through the fear part and the understanding, it's almost being aware, right? Being aware, being competent of what you know will happen to your body allows yeah. you to then bring down that redlining of the anxiety. And knowing you can handle it, knowing this is just like a vigorous workout, the same as you get from a treadmill, you know, with that pounding heart, the sweating, all, all of that um, arousal, knowing that your body is well able to handle this. It's, it's just like a jog in the park for your body. It's your mind that's freaking out. It's your mind that's got this fire alarm going off saying panic, panic, panic. But you're not in danger. You know, a panic attack is not going to kill you. So let's turn off the fear part of this and let's then just deal with the arousal and let it ride it out. And then you're back to your normal state. And then the great thing is, though, you stop fearing the situations. You stop fearing the sensations. And then as you stop fearing those things, well, then you're just back to who you were before. You know, you've got anxiety like everybody else. You know, everyone gets stressed. Everyone gets anxious. But you don't peek into panic attacks. You don't get stuck in the generalized anxiety because you're not ruminating on it. So 
you're back to kind of baseline normal level everyday levels of stress and anxiety yeah i uh i typically take a little things too far uh imagine that uh and when i was experiencing I, i'm still personalizing i'm gonna keep doing it because that's what sure. i do yeah. so um you know i was going through it where i was and i decided you know what i'll do when i'm feeling anxiety in my life is i'm gonna load up everything i own into my car and i'm including my dog and i'm going to drive across the country because <laughs> that will be the most comfortable place that you'll want to find yourself and I found myself halfway across the country at times in those moments where those sensations are coming. And like you said, looking out the window going, fucking kill me then. <laughs> you know, literally going, you know what? Just do it. Just take it down because I'm tired of this. And, you know, uh, all that said in jest, you, you mentioned a very dark moment to where I could imagine I could move the chess pieces forward being a practitioner as a human being saying if this was the next 10 years of my life why you can see anxiety is so closely connected with suicide and people wanting to end that and face it. But, you know, as you're saying in the first step is to actually turn and face it, not so much this, what you hear is the acceptance of and the meditation way of mm -hmm. mindfulness changing your mind as opposed to taking that on and sitting in those sensations, almost adjusting biologically and mentally. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, mindfulness is great. It's a great tool after you get out of your anxiety disorder. It can be a weird one to use when you're highly anxious because you're already feeling a bit weird and then suddenly paying a lot of attention to your body and your breath can feel very uncomfortable, you know, if you're suffering from a lot of anxiety. Oh. So because everything is already a bit strange and then yeah. mindfulness is a new tool and it's a new kind of way of, of feeling your senses that can throw people a bit. But when you come out of the anxiety, it's a great tool for keeping anxiety at bay keeping your stress levels down. Um, but I think mindfulness is missing a trick, which is um, Rick Hansen would call it wise effort. You know, your brain needs direction at the same time. You know, it needs wise effort. It needs wise kind of promotion and direction. So it's like, it's great to be mindful. It's great to bring that calmness into your life, but you also need to work on stuff. You know, you also need to work on shifting attitudes. Maybe you've got low self-esteem. I don't believe mindfulness is going to change your relationship towards your self-esteem. So there's stuff there that needs effort, that needs working on. But, um, you know, and that's where you bring in other tools. But I do, I do like mindfulness. It's just kind of a post-anxiety disorder thing. I think that's a great point. Again, Barry, is sitting in the moment, it teaches you. I talk a lot about reframing in the moment and, can, and constructing uh, new observations to change how we feel, uh, which is very strong. But that double-edged sword at that moment, I would say, is when you are sitting there in those sensations and you're then yeah. processing yourself and you're going, well, that's a rapid heartbeat. Well, I'm sweating like crazy. Well, there's my vision is fucked up. And, you know, so you start, you do, you really analyze the the present, which is what mindfulness really is, right? It's just telling us to look at the present. And as we start to interpret that, uh, it can make it worse. I, I think yeah, that's a yeah. huge point. Yeah, because if the present moment is very uncomfortable, it amplifies it. You know, it's suddenly, wow. And there's this weird sensation with anxiety wow. called depersonalization, which is, everything feels a bit weird. It's a bit like looking through the world, like through a pane of glass, everything feels disconnected. You're not sure if you're here in the world. And it's just, it's just a very strange, unreal feeling. And you mix that with a bit of mindfulness and you're really going to start tripping out. Yeah, that's, I'm still, I'm still looking at it because now I'm going, 
maybe I was employing the wrong uh, tactic at the moment where I'm sitting there and I'm being so mindful of my physical and my thoughts. You're right. that. Um, but I think what you're mentioning is the behavior, right, is doing something, working on the self-esteem, growing something. And I, I also write about that, right, is that we can use our behavior to also adjust how we feel and what we think, you know, get up and go do something. And I think you were suggesting something like that as we move beyond getting comfortable in the uncomfortable. Yeah, like uh, the fourth step of Dare Engage is about engaging with engaging your with activities, things to to occupy yourself with, so that you don't ruminate, so that the mind doesn't turn back in negatively. So it's what you know, having a conversation with people. It can be a walk. Like I think there's an element of mindful walking where you're out in nature. That can be good, you know, where it's not too focused on the mind and the body. But let's say you're walking around and you're just you know appreciating what a nice day it is and feeling the ground beneath your feet that can work well to keep you out of the anxious loop so like dare all of the work it's kind of a loop and that fourth step engage is engage with life because that's where you want to be you want to be connected and flowing with life again living the life you did before anxiety became a problem you know um so like everyone who comes to me says they just want their old self back they want to feel like they did before they had anxiety and panic attacks and their confidence was shot. So you get them back there, but actually you find that something has shifted because if you suffer from anxiety or panic attacks, you get challenged in a way nobody really normally gets challenged. It's, it's a very internal kind of uh, process that goes on. Like it's an internal worry. Most people worry about the external world, about relationships, career, you know, finance. When you're worrying about panic attacks, you're worrying about your sanity and you're worrying about, you know, are you going to live or die? So when you overcome that, you've got this new level of confidence about your own mental kind of processes that you didn't have before. So now you can deal with other stuff that comes up, you know, in your life, other emotions, other difficulties, because it's all an internal work and you've dealt with anxiety. Well, now you feel confident you can deal with this, whether it's grief or depression or whatever. So it's a, it does build your confidence up. So you're never really the same once you come out. I believe you're further down the road. You're stronger. You're better. The the added age, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, right? As if the, yeah. the yeah. And you do start to feel that way as you come through certain experiences. You're going, wow, I can take anything. I, I didn't believe I could do that, and now I'm here. And, you know, you mentioned the important part, you know, about engaging is generally the first thing with anxiety, right, is people start to withdraw, right? They stay at mm -hmm. home. Um, is that something you experience? Is that what you deal with when you're working with people? Yeah, a lot of people would be, when they come to me, are stuck at home. So, you know, they're agoraphobic. They don't want to go out. They don't want to. Um, some of them don't even want to leave their bedroom. The bedroom becomes the safe zone in the extreme cases. So it's about challenging the idea of what is a safe zone and getting them to push outside further and further. So we, you know, might start off and get people to draw circles of, well, where do you feel safe? And they say, okay, I feel safe in my bedroom. And then it's using dare to get outside of the front of the porch, get outside the house, go get the mail. And then it's pushing further, get in your car, drive around the neighborhood. And you push out, you push out, you push out. And then suddenly you realize there is no safe zone. It's just you. You carry the safe zone within yourself everywhere you go. So it doesn't matter whether you're on a desert island, with no doctors, no hospital nearby. You still have that inner resource, that inner confidence with you. So that's kind of the end goal, building up that confidence. But I'm talking about extreme cases there. Not everybody is that bad that they can't leave their bedroom, but it's, you know, it, it does happen quite a bit. For sure. It generally starts somewhere. I don't want to be in public or I don't like to be here. And it's a, it's a slow downward spiral to a drawing almost completely from our lives. Hence the, I want my old self back. Yep.
Yeah, exactly. You mentioned the uh, four steps, if you will. Would you mind walking through those? I know we covered them kind of in roundabout, but uh, kind sure. of so they're more in uh, sort of an equal layout for people. Yeah, so it's dare, diffuse, allow, run towards, and engage. And the first one, diffuse, is is really because most anxiety comes up as a what if thought. It's like, ooh, what if this happens? What if my heart stops? What if I suffocate? What if I go mad? What if I can't handle? It's basically a what if I can't handle this situation or moment. And you diffuse that with humor and certain sentences like, like you can use swear words like who gives a fuck or so what or whatever. And if you load it actually with swear words, it's even more powerful. And it just helps to kind of get you down a bit from peaking into anxiety, into higher anxiety. So it's kind of, let's diffuse this, this, this uh, anxious rambling, you know, that, that the anxious mind is thrown out. Then you move into acceptance. So you go, okay, so some stress hormones have been released. I'm feeling on edge now. So let's accept it. I'm going to accept and allow this nervous arousal. I'm not going to get upset by it. I'm not going to push it away, try and calm myself down with it. I'm just going to be, this is okay. And I'll continue doing what I was doing. So it's kind of like sitting with it, being the observer of it. It's that very kind of Buddhist Eastern approach to dealing with difficult uh, feelings and thoughts. And then you move, if the anxiety is still rising, if it's moving into a panic or heightened anxiety, you start to run towards it. So this is the demand more, bring it on. So if you feel actually... I think there's a panic attack coming. Well, then you flip it and you go, I'm excited by this feeling. I'm not scared of it. I'm excited by it. You flip fear into excitement. Bring it on, demand more. Then you're, as I said earlier, you're just left with nervous arousal. This is just a pounding heart, just kind of a jittery feeling. It's not a sense of threat or doom. I'm not going to die here. And then as you come out of that, if it's the wave, you've come up here on the third one and then back down, engage. So engaging with life, connect with what's going on around you, you know, have a conversation, do whatever, you know, occupies your mind so that you're not waiting and thinking and thinking and ruminating. And then, and then that's it. So it's up and down and out. And if it peaks again, you do the same thing. You repeat it over and over and you put yourself in situations that challenge you. You get out there and you practice those four steps. And as you keep moving through it, confidence keeps rising and rising to the point where you forget about dare. And all you get is this kind of, um, it's more of an attitude or a feeling that comes up. So anytime you feel that anxious, nervous arousal, you just kind of go, it's almost like, it's just, okay. It's now, you know, you can handle it. There's trust and confidence there. So you don't have to bother about the steps anymore. And it's kind of where you were before, like before it was just, okay. I mean, a lot of people get strange sensations and it doesn't tip them into a panic attack or weird thoughts. And they don't get highly anxious about it because they're not so sensitized. They're not like at an eight or a nine. They're just at a three or a four max. So when you're back down there, it's fine. Everything just kind of passes by like clouds overhead and you don't get caught up in it. You don't get hooked in by those anxious thoughts. And, uh, and that's you back, you know, back to the way you want to be, living life confidently, not second guessing everything, you know, where, you know, where I'm going today, who will be there, what will the situation, how will I get out of it, you know, having your exit strategy. So um, that's a great place to be because then you're, you know, you're confident, you're cool and confident again. <laughs> I, I can see why the book and program does so well, because everything you're saying is based in science or at least psychology, the art of anyway, mm. and behavior research and all of this, it's written right properly. Then I would, you could say it's based in science because that's the truth. Yeah. The exposure therapy, you're adjusting biology through the exposure. You're doing tons of cognitive reframing work. 
uh, behavioral work on the back end, um, even exposure uh, to environments and, and awkward environments. It, it seems like what would take a year or two years of anxiety therapy process of slowly walking people through these, working them out, seems real short here and written in common language. Yeah, it's kept short and simple so that people know and remember what to do. Because if you're in a moment of panic, generally you forget what to do. It's kind of like, what am I meant to do here now? So, you know, you remember the steps. It's easy to kind of think your way through it. Um, So, like, it's also the language that's used. You know, the language is so important that you talk to people at their level and that people feel it's a conversation over, you know, in a coffee shop rather than in a therapist room. And that people resonate with that. Well, and then uh, we get people in the Facebook groups and they, they take photos and they upload photos of themselves doing stuff. And that inspires and motivates other people. So, you know, we've got this motivational group and it's just for motivation and success. So it's about focus on the goal. Let's not ruminate. Let's not talk about anxiety and, 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 and kind of just kind of well in it. Let's, let's move forward. Let's focus on the goals. And that group's so inspiring because people do incredible stuff. And then, you know, because the phone is with you everywhere. You take a photo of it, you upload it. and It's peer-to-peer uh, support, really, you know. And I think, actually, I think that's the new model of mental health. I think it's peer-to-peer stuff. People getting together online and supporting each other with the right tools. I mean, there's never enough therapists to go around to treat everyone. So people get the tools, implement it, and then support each other with um, technology. Yeah, the social connection influence is amazing. And, you know, some people, you know, bark at the idea that it's online. And I'm saying, hey, whatever fucking works, man. Oh, yeah. And, you know, the social connection theory, all these ideas, um, they seem like does to me, really, right? Where they're like, oh, hey, we're actually healthier when we're socially connected. <laughs> You're like, yeah, you think. And um, but the idea that somebody too is experiencing what I'm experiencing, right? Mm. That that idea that I'm not alone uh, is is what the is that kind of the centerpiece to the Panic Away program? There's a lot of that, yeah. Letting people know that those really weird thoughts that you could never tell anybody else are very very common. You know that thing I talked about earlier, the depersonalization, that feeling of unrealness, all that stuff is just also super common. That really helps knowing that there's nothing wrong with your brain. This is just something. There's a behavioral problem. You have to relearn how to respond in the right and the correct way to these anxious sensations. That you're not going mad. You're not going to get locked up. They're not going to take the kids away. All of that stuff just kind of helps people go, fuck, yeah, thank God. You know, it's it's not just me. And there's, and there's a way out. And most importantly, that you can have a full recovery from anxiety because that message is not out there enough. All you hear is management, you know, anxiety management. And, you know, cope with this problem medicate yourself, you know, keep it at bay. But people aren't getting the message that you can have a full recovery from anxiety. And we're proving it in our groups. Anyone can join and just watch the success of these people who were stuck in their bedrooms, you know, and who would probably just be coping with it, you know, for the rest of their lives if they hadn't got the right tools. So um, that's key. Giving people that kind of hope is key and giving them motivation to go out and do the, do the work. And it's hard work. It's not easy. There's a lot of work involved, but the rewards are well worth it because the rewards are your freedom. Yeah, I, you're so right. The idea of going, hey, fight and raise money for cancer treatment. You don't hear cancer cures, and it's so much that way in mental health, brother. You hit it right on right on the head, man. And I don't care if that's anxiety, depression, and especially addiction. 
All they do is market the idea that it's some chronic disease, that it's some brain infestation of something that's wrong with you, and they market this on a 100% level and convince everybody this is something that you need to manage now for the rest of your fucking life and take a Xanax every time shit gets a little tough. And I, I, I'm so with you, Barry, that, that that message is not out there. The idea that it, you can walk through it, you can be cured. I don't even like the idea when I hear certain uh, professionals even talking about, well, anxiety is about, you know, two to six years, depending on how much therapy and work. You don't fucking know. You don't. Yeah, yeah. I, for me, it's like the, the, you know, I respect the process for sure. But when you really think about it, we have a process. And then what happens through experience and exposure? One day we just change what we believe. Nothing magical happens. And they're like, respect the process. Well, how about I just fast forward to that day where I actually believe it and I just change what I believe about it and then I can change right fucking now and not six months or two years or keep seeing me once every week for $250 an hour and we'll do some medication management and you're never going to get over this completely now. We all experience it and you live with this now, man. The, yeah. You sent me into a little rampage there, Perry. But <laughs> you're, you're right on, man. Yeah, it's... um. And I'm not, not peddling false hope by saying you can recover from anxiety problem. I'm saying it's absolutely doable, but there's work involved. I'm not saying you can read Dare and it's gone. You've got to read the book and go out and practice. You know, that's the hard bit. You've got to implement the stuff and you can have a fast recovery if you're willing to do the work, do that kind of hard lifting. You know, it's like going to the gym, lift heavier weights, build up that capacity, build up those resources and get out there and, and practice. And um, that's what makes the difference. You know, the only thing that will keep you stuck is if you give up. You know, if you just think, oh, my anxiety is different. You know, I hear that a lot, but my anxiety disorder is different or I've had it too long. You know, I've had it 20, I was 30 so, I was so going to call you on that. I was going to go, all right, Barry, I'm, for, to be devil's advocate, look, you just don't understand. You haven't lived my life. You haven't seen what I've seen. And talk more about that and, and when you deal with, with that either yourself or with other people when they hit you with the you just don't understand. Well, I think it's it's the person's um, anxiety almost talking. You know, it's the anxious mind coming in and saying, best leave alone. Don't let's not go here. Let's you know, let's just manage what this as it is. And, you know, your anxiety is this is the anxiety talking to the person. Your anxiety is different. You went through that terrible thing and this probably won't work for you. And let's not try because here's the thing. You're going to be disappointed. And if this is the only way out of getting your anxiety and you don't make it, then, wow, you're going to feel terrible. So that's what really tricks people and holds people up. It's like, what if I fail? You know, what if I try and fail? And these are all kind of tricks of the anxious mind to get people. It's kind of the protective self to get people not to try and to play it safe. But if people can step beyond that, if they can have the confidence to try something new, and I mean, like really try, like really go out and practice, then they're going to start to see improvements very quickly. And the great thing is, is you just need a few small wins to know, oh, something changed there. I feel better. And you build it up and up and up. And then suddenly you're like, wow, I'm so much better than I was a month ago. And then the next month's better again. And then the setbacks, there's always setbacks. But if you're aware of the setbacks, if you're aware the recovery is up, down like that, always moving up, but with these dips, then you know, okay, this is a setback. I'm having a bad day. I'm having a bad week. And you just kind of get back in the saddle and keep going. Um, because I see setbacks throwing people. That becomes their excuse. It's when the setback hits that they go, oh, my anxiety is different. You know, I've, I've got something you've never heard before or et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. You bring up another great point is that idea of not trying what may be or thought to be believed as the last hope. 
And I think a lot of people that deal with anxiety, depression, addiction, even, uh, or even a, a career, some dream they have, they don't go for it or they don't try it all the way. Um, because maybe to them, it would either confirm they don't have a disease or it would confirm to them that I really am th- that messed up, that I am that unique. I have that 1% of the diagnosis version of it. And we just kind of lay back and we, we play Olay and laissez-faire with the idea of just, I think, sitting around acceptance. But I think n- many people, I think, cross over acceptance and apathy. Mm, yeah, yeah, that's true. That's a good point. Acceptance and apathy. Apathy is the giving up. It's kind of, it's the, the, the depressed state. Acceptance has this transformative quality to it. When you accept something, it starts to change and shift and transform. You're kind of, it's, it's not, I accept this and I'm going to live with it forever. It's, I accept this for this moment. I accept that right now I'm feeling shitty, but I know that through acceptance, that will shift because everything passes. And it's kind of, it's, it's acceptance is positive. You know, acceptance is like a positive force of positive outlook of kind of like, yeah, things aren't good right now. It's being realistic. It's saying like, like I am in pain, emotional pain right now, but when, because I'm accepting it, it's sitting better. It's not rubbing up against me as badly. And then you start to kind of, it's like these chains start, chains start to fall off you and you become free of it. It transforms that way. I think the second part you mentioned that is almost as important as the acceptance part is the actual behavior of action and not the acceptance to indifference to apathy to where we say, well, I've accepted I have a brain disease and I am uh, going to be anxious or battling addiction my whole life. And now let's just manage it. I think that second part is, is just as important as when you do have that acceptance. And I think you got to be careful, right? What you accept for me it was. I couldn't ever get past the first couple steps in the step programs of accept that you're powerless against drugs and alcohol. I I used to tell people in the groups, I would say, look, if I was going to put you in the ring against Mike Tyson at his prime or even now, and you had to get in and would you accept that our strategy was going to be for you to just cover up and let him wail on you? Well, if so, that's how I interpreted accept the fact you're powerless against this or that or accept the fact you can do nothing. And rather than accepting the fact this is the moment, the point that you made is this is the moment now, but uh, I can move through that and I can change and, and have a strategy for that and a behavior, not just acceptance and go, well, that's just who I am. Give me the pills, doc. Yeah, no, it's acceptance and let's get out of here. You know, it's acceptance and let's change this. And it's like what you described earlier, that that kind of negative acceptance of like you hear from the mainstream media of, well, you're going to have to accept that you have anxiety and put up with it and manage it for the rest of your life. That's that ties in with that. Whereas um, the acceptance I'm talking about is, is that kind of Eastern approach of, you know, feelings and thoughts come and go, you know, you, but you've got to be open. You've got to invite them in. You've got to allow what is, you know, you can't deny your experience in this moment. If you're feeling shitty, you know, you are feeling shitty. So accept it. And then you can work with it. You can transform it and you can move on from there. But like it's, it's the acceptance is like that foundation that stops, the, particularly with anxiety, the acceptance stops the fighting. It stops the resistance. It stops the pushing away. And all that pushing away and fighting causes tension. And you, then you become this pressure cooker. When you stop fighting it, it starts to ease off itself, you know? Yeah, I, I think that that's a, a huge separation to make is the acceptance of not who we are. And I mean, I'll go in on the limb and stretch it out and say, look, 
they make money as long as you're treating it for the rest of your life. And the fact that a cure doesn't uh, help sustain their mental health economic system, uh, I'm not going to say it doesn't play a part, right? But I mean, the idea that, but we also start to walk this line, don't we, Barry, of we become insensitive, right? I, I get messages sometimes that I'm insensitive to those that are dealing with addiction that do need the synthetic pills, that do live off of self-harm, or those that do take the Xanax and, and have for years and have found ways to manage it right and we, we we start to walk that line to where now we're we're not sensitive now because we're not saying that you know okay uh you have this so we'll just rub your head for the rest of your life right i mean th- do you get that pushback as well um how do you mean how do you mean tell well, me, I, explain I get a, i get kind of a pushback many times when i talk about addiction or even mental health of the idea that you can cure yourself that you can apply methods use behaviors environmental all these things that you're talking about and make those changes without synthetic implication and i'm i'm not naive enough to say that it doesn't help but the idea uh, that when I'm saying that I'm that this is true, that I'm uh, insensitive to those with diseases, right? Those those with the special stories that no one understands, right? Those those, and I'm not saying there aren't outliers, but um, you know what I mean. Do you? I get yeah. that pushback a lot. Yeah, no, I, yeah, definitely, and I think it's. Um... Well, you've got to, I suppose, remember people are in a lot of pain as well, and they feel so caught up and stuck and frustrated. And they've tried so many different things. And then if they hear a message of, well, you know, here's a different approach. People, a lot of people get angry. I had this, um, this really simple card video on YouTube. You know where you write the messages out in cards and you hold them up and you turn, pass them over? So I recorded on an airplane and I was basically talking about how to deal with a panic attack in this situation, like being on an airplane. And, um, and I was talking about the whole approach. And half the audience loved it. I thought, wow, this is so different. This is so new. And the other half were getting really angry going, you know, who's this guy telling me that I can get over my anxiety by bringing it on, demanding more, and, you know, really angry because they're saying, you know, I, I can, I have to be on a Xanax and I have to, you know, be on medication. And this is a really dangerous thing to say, you know, challenging. So, so a lot of kind of kickback that way. But, um, that video had like 8 million views and you've got half the people fighting it and half the million people loving it. So yeah, I, I know exactly what you're talking about, but I get it I, because I know what it's like to be in a really shitty place like that and you're stuck and you're going things do irritate you when you see people it can annoy it can annoy you to see other people recovered and they're telling you well because it can feel like well who are you to tell me you know you don't know my me and my life so you know i i I understand the frustration yeah yeah, I, I definitely get it, especially the power of that narrative that we tell that we've mentioned a few times, the narrative of my life. You don't understand. And it does, I think, uh, make us nervous to look up and say, oh, you don't you've made it through, but you haven't had as bad as me. Right. That we do start to compare. And I, I definitely get where they're coming from of of I guess you do get mad. Right. I you know, what? I found myself early dealing with it and kind of going, there must be something wrong with me medically. There has to be. You know, and I found myself doing testing and all, all kinds of shit. I could, you know, blood works and natural doctors, right? I'm going, all right, what, what's tweaking me here, right? And, and well, I, good news is I found out I'm healthy as shit <laughs> and all of my, all of my blood, everything's good. And I'm like, all right. Uh, but you, you find that way, anything to put off that it's something that I can actually deal with, right? We can say that it's my brain or it's my environment, it's the pills or I'm different, anything to put off because maybe it feels like if we truly accept that, that that one more thing that we're doing wrong is that last thing that we can fucking take. So we project that. Yeah. 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 It's, it's funny when you're talking, I was thinking, um, 
you know, about that, the frustration as well. Nobody has ever come to me and said, um, but you're not a doctor, you know, it's weird. People don't, people don't have a problem with that. It's, it's, and I thought, and I, I, I initially had a problem with it myself. I felt, um, I felt insecure about it. You know, who am I to be going up against all these other academics and mental health professionals and coming out with this story? And it was just kind of over the years, I just went, oh, you know, fuck it. I mean, the thing works. And, and, and the way D.A.R.E. has gone online, it's kind of that same message. People just want a solution that works. People want a method that works. And it doesn't really matter who it comes from as long as, you know, they can see it's getting results for them. And, um, yeah, because uh, it's funny because when you, when you talk about all those, you know, that feedback and kickback, the kickback I haven't gotten is that, um, or very little of it anyway, which is quite surprising. Yes, but man, when I was on Rogan and I was just a mental health counselor talking about Suboxone and self-harm reduction, et cetera, uh, man, did I get blasted for not being a doctor or I'm some quack job that doesn't know anything. And I, I wanted to reply and like, have you looked at peer reviewed journals and the corruption of it lately and what people say? And, but anxiety sometimes seems to be like, it's, I'd hate to say it, but it's so bad on people that they don't give a shit, whether you're a doctor or who you are, that they're just saying, fucking give me something, right, that, that we reach out. I, I, I was talking addiction, which is linked to brain disease and science, and everyone must be a doctor, but when you're a hammer, everything's a fucking nail. So when I'm talking about chemical responses and things like that, right, I'm a quack and don't know it, but when it's anxiety, it seems like I, I'll listen, right? You'll listen to anybody who'll talk about that experience. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I never tell people, hey, don't take your meds or don't don't go down that route. It does work for some people. It gets them out of a very stuck place. You know, it it, uh, it shifts things. It gives and it also gives them confidence to go practice these tools as well, because sometimes people need to take half a Xanax or whatever it is to get out there and do the work. Um, it's just that I hope they go back to their doctor at some stage and say, hey, let's talk about a plan of coming off this. Let's not be on this for the rest of my life, you know. Short-term yeah, 100%. use. Yeah, antidepressants are that same way. Zaboxin, even when done right, sure, when it's titrated off after the right amount of time, when the beliefs don't associate, I, I need this because I'm diseased, it can definitely, you know, I'm a fan of whatever works. I used to say, if somersaults work for you, fucking do that. You know, I'm a fan of 12 steps. I'm a fan of self-harm reduction when applied properly in the right state. And other work is being done. We're not just going pill for the day, now let's go back to sleep, right? When Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when that work's being done. And could we could we talk about maybe some tools that you learned or or share along the way that are things that people can apply uh, today? Yeah, um, you know, so my whole approach, of course, is this idea of stripping away the fear of the sensations. But there's some and 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 those and the core work is the dare those four steps. But there's some hacks as well that are very useful, very for, for particularly when you're dealing with a panic attack. For example, uh, muscle contraction. So when you're in the moment of high anxiety, when you're really feeling like, you know, you're eight or nine out of ten, if you actually do muscle contractions, now if you can, if you're in a private place and you can actually jog on the on the spot, perfect. But if you're not, if you're on an airplane, you can, you know, you can clench your hands like this. You can clench all the muscles in your body. So your arms, your legs, hold for 10 seconds, release. You can do reps of that. And what it actually does is, and some people think it relates back to the fight or flight when we were being chased by you know, animals way back when, is that 
when there's muscle contraction, it sends a signal to the amygdala that you can turn off the stress response now because we're running, we're fleeing. So let's kind of change the chemical response to this threat. Um, so we don't need as much of that adrenaline anymore, but, you know, and it just shifts, it changes and the contractions just help metabolize or help burn off that cortisol that has been released. So that's a really cool one that people can do in the moment of, of a panic attack. Um, because it's amazing if you're working there, it's kind of on a mental level, you know, so you're working through the steps in a mental way and you're stripping away the fear and you're really shifting the power from, you know, kind of from the emotional, fearful brain up to the, the prefrontal cortex, more to that logical side of the brain, giving you the confidence back. But then if you can do these little things like those muscle contractions, perfect, because it'll help just cool, cool the system down faster. Another little one is, um, again, with the panic attacks is, count down from 21 seconds and say to your panic or anxiety, it's got 21 seconds to deliver everything that it's threatening you with, you know, the big bad panic attack, but let's have it, but it's got to happen in 21 seconds. And the great thing about that is that there's a time frame on it. So when you get to zero, you go, you know, sorry, you had your chance. You didn't kill me. I didn't suffocate. So this is obviously just a false alarm and you can repeat it, you know, but that's a great one of, you know, a window of time where the panic attack has got to happen. Again, it's a you feeling back in control, back confident again. So there, you know, there's some examples of little things you can do in combination with the the four steps of dare. Yeah, the first one I like because I think some people, well, I'll speak for myself, when you're experiencing that, you try to almost act like, you know, like you're really stoned for the first time in a group where you don't know anybody and you're like, all right, I'm, I'm so fucking normal right now. Am I standing normal? Do I, do I look okay? Right. You get all self-conscious. And when you're going through that, it's, it's hard not to, uh, it's hard to want to do something to make show it, right? That you're sitting there kind of going, okay, I'm doing this exercise. And I actually heard a, an old man give his son advice one time uh, about getting married. He goes, listen, if you're walking down the aisle and you're about to pass out, I want you to just flex your thighs as much as you can, and it'll wake you back up. And then I looked mm. into it, and apparently this is like a thing that like brides will do, right? It's flexing the to keep the blood flowing uh, uh, more naturally, right? And even when you spoke about the next one, the cognitive reframing about the 21 seconds and give it to me, uh, yeah. I think I was naturally doing it on the plane uh, back then when I was going, all right, I made it two hours and I didn't die. So obviously I'm not going to fucking die. So, yeah, exactly. uh, I'm, and, but mindfulness did not help me in the airplane. <laughs> my chest move guy started going, I'm in a metal tube 10,000 feet up in the air or more and I'm flying around. There's nothing fucking safe about <laughs> about what I'm doing. And I think those guys are on strike even, you know, they're fixing the end, right? Your mind in that mindful, when you try to do it, uh, I think, like you said, is that's a huge point for people is to really uh, snap out of maybe being mindful. I I love the, the flexing, the, uh, the muscle contractions of the the walking is what I love to do. when I felt that I would just go for a walk and, and move something. Yeah, you know, and, and get, get, I mean, exercise is incredible. It's always everyone you talks about exercise is a wonderful tool for mental health. And it is because it does help burn off a lot of this stuff, particularly in relation to anxiety. You know, if you, if you have been feeling anxious, get out into nature, run, get to the gym, whatever, lift weights, you know, that really does improve your mental and physical state. Um, but yeah, on the airplane, it's a funny one. Yeah, <laughs> being mindful in an airplane. You know, it's not going to work if you have a fear of flying. It just isn't. You need different tools. You know, going back to what I was saying earlier, you need kind of wise effort. You need kind of specific guidance for a mind that has run amok. Um, 
mindfulness isn't strong enough to calm that emotional part of the mind down the amygdala, amygdala. you know t- basically the amygdala is like it's, it's like a, the fire alarm is going off and you've got to find tricks and tools to turn it off you know saying look no one's got a gun to my head it feels like it's got a gun to head. they haven't i'm not going to die so how do i turn this alarm off and and everything we've been talking about is is, is doing that switching off that panic alarm yeah, and, and facing it rather than avoiding it. I, I think the exposure part is extremely important. Uh, I think because once you stop exposing yourself, you're going the opposite direction. When you, when you decide not to go out that Friday night or not meet your friend at the place or, uh, not take your girlfriend or wife to that one thing, when you start choosing that, then I think anxiety is shaping your life as opposed to your message, message, which is, I'm going to shape you anxiety right out of my fucking life. <laughs> well, you know, exposure, but with tools, with the right tools. Exposure on its own is, is, can be counterproductive. You know, if, you, if you're white knuckling your way through everything, uh, you know, you might, you might eventually kind of go, okay, I, I can kind of deal with elevators now. But if you're going into the elevator and you've got a toolkit with you, it's like, no, it's, it's much more surgical. It's much more bump, bump. And you come out going, whew, I can really handle this, you know? And, and it's not white knuckling your way through the experience. So I'm always telling people, it's, it's, you're looking to feel anxious. You know, you go out with dare, use the tools, and you feel no anxiety or panic. You know, it's not great because you want the nervous arousal to practice with. You've got to be challenged, practice, build up the confidence. Um, so when people come back to me and say, yeah, I'm using dare, I'm able to drive further, I'm able to drive in traffic, no problem. You know, I'm kind of like, well, let's, let's wait until you start getting anxious first again. You know, maybe you're just having a boost in confidence, but I want to see you being anxious again in that situation. Uh, and then use the tools and then be not anxious and see the difference, see how it can be flipped. So um, that's that's key, you know, having arousal, nervous arousal and knowing what to do with it. That's a huge point. The false, uh, you could call it a false evidence that I'm over it, the false confidence, right? We have a good day or two or a week and you're like, I'm fucking good. I'm, I'm taking a 16 hour flight to New Zealand. Right. And you're like, slow down, you don't know, like yeah. slow down. Cause I think you don't want to be in that situation. All of a sudden it shows back up and now your mind's going, Oh shit. Right. I thought I was good. Everything's bad now. Uh, I, I like back, it. as bad as ever. Yeah. Right now it's got me. And I think it was, it was, I, I love the idea of walking in with tools. It's methodical. It's a, an, it's a tactical approach to what you're doing as opposed, uh, to just this. I love the white knuckle approach too. Um, but not white knuckling through everything, right? Cause eventually you're just biting a bullet all the way through and you never yeah. purge. You know, these are all, Barry, this is, thank you so much for writing this book for one. I, 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 I know it's helped so many people, man, and, and getting by, who you are or if you can do this, if you're supposed to, cause you're not a doctor getting through all that bullshit, man. And, and, and putting that out there because I, I think that's what I fear most for people that go through anxiety, including myself is uh, that we don't dare ourselves to go out there, to face those, to challenge ourselves and, and not fall prey to the path of apathetic acceptance of that's who we are. Yeah. And that's why these groups and, and we do different training programs where we get pe- push people out because people kind of people are always a little bit kind of tentative in the beginning. It's like they'll take baby steps, but they won't go for bigger stuff. And it's kind of they're f- afraid of um, stimulating anxiety. They're afraid of kind of, you know, bringing up something that they can't handle again. You know, so they're kind of making 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 progress, but not not fast enough. So we get them to go 
and take big steps, you know, and, and we follow them in the group and we hold them accountable. So what are you going to do this weekend? And we say, oh, I'm going to take the kids out to a ball game. Great. And then we ask them, did you do it? And how did it go? Take photos, you know, so keep people motivated to keep taking those steps um, because it's easy to fall back into the mode of, well, I'm making progress, but let's not push it too fast and let's just kind of take it really, really slowly because that can then slow down to a standstill. Yeah. How can people sign up for this group? Obviously, they can buy your book on Amazon and everywhere else, but the social connection stuff we talked about, I think, is is so helpful to those. How how can they sign up? Yeah, so, well, the best thing is get the book. And if you like the book, then um, think about the other stuff. The other stuff is found on darerespons.com, D-A-R-E-R-E-S-P-O-N-S-E.com. Um, but, you know, get the book. There's a free app that comes with it as well. Join the communities. And if you like it, if you feel you're making good progress, then, you know, you can do one of our boot camps. You know, we do these 10-day boot camps or um, Dare Advanced Coaching where we kind of dive deeper into stuff. But um, start with the book. It's, a, it's probably the best place. And a lot of people just use the book, just use the Facebook groups and recover from their anxiety. And um, it's just amazing to watch. And, you know, people do say thank you to me, but to be honest, they're the ones who deserve the credit because they're doing the hard work. They're the one doing the heavy lifting. They're going to the gym, they're doing that weight, they're lifting it, they're building up that strength. And it does, as I say, it takes a lot of courage sometimes if you've been 20, 30 years avoiding stuff, you know, if you've got a very, very small safe zone in your life. To walk us out, what would you say to that person who maybe is new to that anxiety monster, if you will, that one that maybe keeping them back, they're thinking about staying home and not going and they've had those panic attacks, but they're in the unsure, they're in that unknown. It's, it's what I would have said to myself had I met myself when I was 18, 19 years old, had that first panic attack, I would say, you're absolutely not alone with this. This is completely normal to have this experience. It's not going to kill you. You're not going mad. It's very uncomfortable. It's very unpleasant. But with the right approach, you will find your way out of it and quite quickly as well if you apply it. So it's just to let them know that there is absolutely a way out of what feels like a terrible prison to be in. And just knowing that, knowing there's people out there to support them as well in that journey, I think that's um, that's just a great place to start. That's Barry's Cognitive Rampage. I uh, I can't thank you enough for the work, the willingness, and coming on the show as well and helping those that may feel like there's nothing that can help them. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, I look forward to having you back because I'm sure you're going to write something else as well, uh, maybe through this journey and some new discoveries. So uh, I'd love to have you back on or anytime you want to come on, Barry. Thanks again. Yeah, it'd be a pleasure. Thank you. Take care. You all know I usually leave it on to kind of give my closing thoughts on that talk. And, you know, I, I couldn't help, but listen to Barry chat and think about my own life and some recent experiences that, you know, I'd been facing and how I chose to face them. But I think, uh, it was important for me to know that it wasn't going to kill me, that I could, push forward to it, right? And even knowing and having the mental health knowledge, et cetera, knowing that that does happen to everybody, I could uh, only imagine those that do feel alone or feel trapped in that anxiety cycle. And I only urge you, no, I dare you to get out, to change the routine, 
to face it, to challenge what maybe they've diagnosed you with or to question who they told you you are and what you're going to experience your entire life and get some small victories. Show yourself. Prove to yourself. Dare yourself. Don't give up on yourself. Don't fall prey to the apathetic, that's just who I am. You can evolve and change and know this, that at the end of this road, when you come out of it, you'll be better, you'll be stronger, 